A 61-year-old woman has just given birth to her own granddaughter, who was conceived by combining her daughter's egg with the sperm of her son's gay lover. Meanwhile, 76-year-old former Vice President Joe Biden is in trouble for smelling teenage girls' hair on the campaign trail. We will examine modern love with uncomfortable Joe Biden-like closeness. Then President Trump hits the socialist nail on the head and National Poetry Month continues. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. It occurred to me as I was reading that open about the 61-year-old woman who gave birth to her own granddaughter with the sperm of her son's gay lover and her daughter's egg and all. That sounded like an Andrew Clavin parody open. It sounded like some of Andrew Clavin's political satire, except it's not, it's reality because we're living in 2019. We will get to all of that in one second. But first, let us make some money, honey, with Ring. Ring's mission is to make neighborhoods safer. You might already know about their smart video doorbells and cameras that protect millions of people everywhere. Ring helps you stay connected to your home anywhere in the world. So if there's a package delivery or a surprise visitor, you will get an alert and be able to see, hear, and speak to them all from your phone. That's thanks to the HD video and two-way audio features on Ring devices. I love it. You know, Jay Hay, the senior producer, was able to talk to these drug-addled maniacs trying to break into his home the other night at three in the morning because they knocked on his door to basically casing the joint trying to see if anyone was home. And he picked up from his bedroom and said, hey, what's going on? And they scramble away. He could have been on a beach in Boca. He could have been at the office. I love my ring. My ring makes me feel a lot safer. It just, in my own place, it's why I've recommended it to my friends. I have given it to my friends. This is the best housewarming present. Uh, you're going to love it. As a listener, you'll have a special offer on a Ring starter kit available right now. With a video doorbell and motion-activated floodlight cam, the starter kit has everything you need to start building a ring of security around your home. Just go to ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. 61-year-old woman gives birth to her own granddaughter using the sperm of her son's gay lover and the egg of her daughter. Why do I even know about this story? Why, it, why is somebody telling me about this? Because this is being pushed by BuzzFeed, of course. Uh, this is not the first time that a grandmother has been a surrogate for one of her children. It's uncommon. You have to be in very good health to be a 61-year-old woman who can give birth and act as a surrogate. Uh, this isn't the first time this has happened before. However, I do believe this is the first time that a grandmother has given birth to her granddaughter using the sperm of her gay son's lover and the egg of the daughter. Here is how the piece begins in BuzzFeed. Quote, Matthew Elledge and Elliot Doherty of Omaha, Nebraska needed a surrogate to carry their baby. They never expected she would turn out to be Matthew's mother. First of all, yes, they obviously did expect this because they asked her to do it and the mother offered. So they did expect that. It doesn't, this doesn't just happen. I, like they're trying to pass this off as though, wow, what a kooky, crazy thing. You know, I guess one night uh, we all got drunk and the next thing you know, uh, my mother is the surrogate giving birth to my daughter that is conceived by my lover and my sister. That doesn't just happen. This was all very planned out. This isn't just some kooky, weird, little natural thing that happened. This was schemed and planned out, and it's a very terrible thing. Also, it happened in Omaha, Nebraska. Who saw that one coming? 
I was just in New York for the past few days. I was giving a speech in Jersey. You might expect that sort of thing to happen in New York, New Jersey, San Francisco, La La Land. You might, Omaha, Nebraska, that does worry me. We're talking about the heartland of America, this sort of thing happening there. Not a great sign for the culture. Uh, I'll spare you the 2,000 word article or whatever it is. Here are just some highlights. We're very, very lucky, Matthew said. Even so, Matthew and Elliot's road to parenthood hasn't been without obstacles, as other LGBT parents around the country, and particularly in Nebraska, can attest. But the couple wanted to share their story, in part to prove that a family like theirs can thrive anywhere, even in the conservative heartland of the U.S. The language is the issue here. We'll get, we'll get to the facts of it in just a second. But the language is what, what I really take issue with. This is the, the BuzzFeed language, the popular left-wing language. They never expected this would happen. Uh, of course they did. They planned it all out. Oh, their road to parenthood hasn't been without obstacles. Gee, you don't say. Two men trying to be parents together, that's not without obstacles. I can think of one pretty major obstacle that would, that would make that difficult. Of course it's with obstacles. What are the obstacles? What are we talking about? By the way, what road to parenthood? If you were to skim over this article, you would think that Elliot and Matthew conceived a child together. You, you would get that impression. Obviously, it's, that's absurd. That is not possible for two men to conceive a child together. But you, you might think that because it's the road to parenthood. But they overcame those obstacles on the road to parenthood and now they're parents. Not so. That is not so. In, the, in reality, in a biological sense, the biological parents of this kid are Matthew's sister and Elliot, who is Matthew's boyfriend or, or significant other or gay marriage or I don't, I don't know the precise circumstances. There's a mother and a father here. The problem is the mother is out of the picture and this obviously creates significant moral dilemmas that BuzzFeed is totally ignoring, totally running over. The piece goes on. They talk about how it's very expensive to do in vitro fertilization, to bring in surrogates, to do this. You have to pay X amount of money. And and Matthew says, and that is literally the cheapest it could have been, said Matthew. Each cycle of egg retrieval and transfer can cost about $12,000, which the family only had to pay once, since Cecile, the mother, got pregnant on the first try, or the grandmother, I guess. Plus, they didn't have to pay tens of thousands of dollars for donated eggs since Elliot's sister, Leah, donated them for free. Listen to this clinical language. When we think about the miracle of life, when we think about the miracle of life as a metaphor for, as a real metaphor for, the love that moves the sun and the other stars, when we think about what, when kids ask, hey, mommy and daddy, where do babies come from? What's the answer? What is the cliche answer? Well, when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much, a baby is produced. And that's actually the best answer you can give. When a mommy and a daddy love each other very much, in a, in a very literal way, in a physical way, they love each other, they make love. And then in a spiritual way, the child, this child, which is body and soul, body and spirit, is the spiritual product of that love as well. Now listen to this description. Each cycle of egg retrieval and transfer 
costs a lot of money. But luckily, Cecile got pregnant on the first try. And they didn't have to play, pay for donated eggs because Elliot's sister, Leia, donated them for free. She didn't donate anything. She's the mother who is producing a child that she will have no accountability toward, no responsibility for, no more of a relationship with than she wants, than is convenient, than is comfortable for an aunt. A false relationship to pretend to be an aunt when you're really a mother. That sort of language, how dehumanizing, how yucky, how, I think there is a good phrase in the bioethical community that Leon Cass used very much about the bioethicist Leon Cass, who said that there is a wisdom of repugnance. I don't care who you are. I don't care how liberal you are, how left-wing, how progressive, how forward-thinking, how LGBT, LMNOP friendly, how all of these things. It doesn't matter how much you are. When you read that, there is a certain spiritual repugnance that you have toward this. There's something that you read, you say, gosh, that's just not quite right. It's just not quite right for a grandmother to give birth to her own granddaughter, which is really, who is really the product of her daughter and her son's lover. There's just something not quite right about this. Well, what's not quite right? It's, it's sometimes difficult to articulate, but especially for people who consider themselves very progressive, very open-minded, very forward-thinking. But we know it's true. We just know it deep down. Now, we can articulate this. The trouble is, if we oppose something like this, we are maligned as haters. They say, you hate gay people. Where'd you get that from? Where'd you get that idea from? You hate, you're anti-science. No, well, no, science is science. Science is knowledge. Science is creates technology, and some of that is good, and some of that's bad, and some of it's neutral, and it can be used for good or bad things. And some things are good, and some things such as this are bad. Because what is not mentioned in this article, what's not mentioned, BuzzFeed totally overlooks it, is the victim here. All of these crazy scientific experiments produced a daughter who is being intentionally deprived of her mother. Elliot's sister, Leia, donated the eggs for free. No, she's a mother who all of you schemed, schemed about and created a child, a daughter in particular, who will not have a mother-daughter relationship with her own mother because of your selfish desires. That is very bad. That's a very bad thing. That's the victim here. Oh, she'll be fine. Oh, the kid will be raised fine. Yeah, I guess, probably. I don't know, maybe. Maybe the kid will be raised just great. Well, a a child, it would be better for a child to be raised by two gay parents than two good gay parents than two bad straight parents. Yeah, okay, maybe. Maybe that's true, sure. But that's not even really what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a child being adopted to uh, good gay parents, really nice, caring, compassionate gay parents, or really bad, awful, terrible straight parents. We are talking about intentionally producing a child who will be deprived of her mother because you and your boyfriend want to have a child even though that is biologically impossible. And so you scheme 
you contrive every way using modern science and modern, shallow, incorrect moral philosophy to say, we're going to use, well, the sister is kind of like the brother, so we're going to use that egg. And then it's kind of like it's the daughter, of, but not quite. And then we're going to, no one wants to care, so we'll use the grandmother to carry the... There was a meme that was going around the internet. It said, uh, future genealogists someday looking at this family tree. And it's just that, the, the video, the gif of that comedian. Who's, uh, 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 what? Uh, uh, cross-eyed looking all crazy. There are consequences to, there are other people involved. It's not just about your desires. And I don't just mean to inveigh against this gay couple and the strange grandmother and the thoughtless sister. That's not, they're, they're not the only problem here. This is a broader problem of designer babies, of an inversion of the natural order, which is that we have children to give our love, the love that created us, the love that created everything around us, that gives us life, we pass that love along selflessly to a child. We don't create a little designer baby because you feel that something is lacking in your own life. That is utterly selfish. That is utterly opposite of the natural order of giving life and creating children, begetting children. Also, another victim that, of course, BuzzFeed isn't going to talk about here are the ostensibly additional frozen embryos, uh, embryos that are either frozen or destroyed. Because when you do IVF, as, as Matthew L. Edge says here, it's very, very expensive. So usually what you do is you fertilize multiple eggs. So you create multiple little embryos. You create little individual human lives. And then you implant one or you tr- implant three and then one takes and you take kill the other four or you just freeze a bunch of them. Either way, you're creating multiple individual human lives and then either destroying them or freezing them, suspending them in time. Those are victims too. And moreover, justice is a victim here. It is, that is wrong to do. That is selfish to do. That is taking what should be the ultimate act of selflessness, begetting creating a child and inverting that and making it all about yourself. We're only going to see this continue. We're going to see gene editing technology. We're going to see uh, much more of this in the future. That's a scary thing because we no longer possess a vocabulary to discuss difficult moral issues and difficult bioethical issues. As we begin to think of people as just flesh, as just meat and bones, and yeah, what if I... Put these two things together. Sister's egg, lover's sperm, put them together, put them in the mother's womb. Who, you know, whatever, who cares? It's all just flesh, right? The more we think about it that way, the more we will be unable to discuss bioethical questions because we're not just flesh. As Winston Churchill said, when great forces are on the move in the world, we learn that we're spirits, not animals. The destiny of man is not measured by material computations. And... As material computations take over and base and selfish desires take over, we're going to have a a much more troublesome destiny of man to look at. Speaking of modern love, can't forget about Creepy Joe. Creepy Joe Biden getting hit from all sides. You know I'm defending him. I'm still defending him on the argument, but politically, it's very difficult to defend him. Here's a great attack ad that just came out from one of the pro-Trump PACs on poor old Creepy Joe. It happened also suddenly, very unexpectedly, out of nowhere. 
I feel Joe Biden put his hands on my shoulders, get up very close to me from behind, lean in, smell my hair, and then plant a slow kiss on the top of my head. To have the Vice President of the United States do that to me so unexpectedly and just kind of out of nowhere, it was just shocking. It was shocking because you don't expect that kind of intimate behavior. You don't expect that kind of intimacy from someone so powerful and someone who you just have no relationship whatsoever to to touch you and to feel you and to be so close to you in that way. Oh, that is a juicy attack ad. That's a really good attack ad. So I'd like to make two points here. One, I don't think Joe Biden has really done anything wrong. What Joe Biden is, is an unctuous politician who goes out and presses the flesh, (laughs) to use a particularly vivid uh, phrase, and his whole shtick is he just uh, seduces voters, right? I mean, that's what politicians like Joe Biden do. They go out and they have their nice shiny teeth and that smile and they go up and they say, you know, you, ah, you're great. I really care about you. And they're flirting, but it's in a, it's in a, not a romantic way. We have never heard a story about Joe Biden getting an apartment in DC while he's a Senator and bringing his mistresses all around. And we've never heard that story. What we have heard is that Joe Biden is a little weird and he's too affectionate on the campaign trail, which is true. Those are different things. The second point I want to make here is that this is a great political attack. This is a terrific political attack. And if I were running against Joe Biden, I would play that video all day long because it doesn't really matter to voters whether he's some sexual predator or whether he's some cad or whether he's some womanizer, or if he's just kind of creepy and he's, it just doesn't look good on camera. It do, there's no difference in the mind of voters. And so absolutely, if I were running against Joe Biden in the Democrat primary, I would use it against him. If I were running against him in the general election, which will never happen because he's not going to get that far, I totally would use that against him. The other day, uh, uh, Donald Trump used this line about Joe Biden. He said, I was in Iraq. I was talking to the generals there. I said, I love you so much. I just want to kiss you. I felt just like Joe Biden. You know, he's just using Joe Biden has become a punchline. That's why what he's done is politically indefensible. Joe Biden cannot afford to be a punchline this early on. Beto right now is fighting the same exact thing. Some candidates have avoided this. Kamala Harris is not really that much of a punchline yet. Sanders actually is not really that much of a punchline yet. Liz Warren is a punchline. That's why she's not going anywhere. Joe Biden is dangerously in this territory. Consequently, or or coincidentally, Joe Biden is blaming Bernie Sanders' camp for these attacks. It is a little curious. This first woman who came out, Lucy Flores, is a member of a pro-Sanders campaign group, Our Revolution. She's been a pro-Sanders activist for years now. And she comes out and she says, oh yes, the vice president put his hands on my shoulders. I've never felt so unsafe. Oh my gosh, it was harrowing. I'm going through PTSD because the vice president... Gave, like put his hands on me, on his, on my shoulders for briefly when he was campaigning for me, which I asked him to do. Okay, whatever. It sure seems like a political attack to me. Now there's a second accuser. 
Uh, this woman from Connecticut says that then Vice President Joe Biden touched her inappropriately at a Greenwich fundraiser in 2009. I'm so torn on this because I, the Democrats use this against us all the time. A second accuser, all these women that must be true, inappropriate touching. She made him feel, he made her feel uncomfortable. So I really want to use this against Joe Biden, but it's just not fair. Here's what the woman says from Connecticut. She says, quote, it wasn't sexual. But he did grab me by the head. He put his hand around my neck and pulled me in to rub noses with me. When he was pulling me in, I thought he was going to kiss me on the mouth. What you, you thought he was going to kiss you on the mouth, but it wasn't sexual? No, what you're saying is objectively this wasn't sexual. But subjectively, I could misinterpret it to appear to be sexual. That's what she's saying in that one sentence. And what did he do? I'm sure Joe Biden does this all the time. This is his whole thing. Ah, I'm the, I'm the guy. We're really close. We're really good friends. I'm grandfatherly. Ah, I love you so much. Ah, I love you. If I were 10 years younger, ah, <laughs> wink, wink, smile, smile, vote for me. <laughs> He's just a, an unctuous politician. It, by the way, apparently his wife does this too. There's this photo of his wife kissing Jeff Bezos on the mouth, not in some saucy, you know, car or in a motel room or something. She did it at a podium at the White House <laughs> because they're, the, the Bidens are very affectionate because they're that kind of politician. Okay. Now, there are a couple other people who are coming out. Uh, now, this same woman, this same woman in Connecticut said, I never filed a complaint, to be honest, because he was the vice president. I was a nobody. There's absolutely a line of decency. There's a line of respect Crossing that line is not grandfatherly. It's not cultural. It's not affection. It's sexism or misogyny. Misogyny means the hatred of women. You're telling me that Joe Biden coming up and saying, ah, yeah, you're great. Ah, you're terrific. That expresses a hatred of women? That it's the same thing. Joe Biden coming up to you and saying, ah, I love you, honey, and putting his hands, giving a little shoulder massage and an abusive husband punching his wife's lights out. Those are the same thing. That's what she's saying. Because these women are obviously engaged in a political hit job, which is totally baseless, which is totally cynical, which is totally wrong to actual victims of uh, sexual violence. Really awful stuff. And, And this is, here's how you know. Here's how you know that this woman from Connecticut is a joke and a cynical joke at that. She ends her accusation. She says, If Biden truly supports women and gender equality, he would step aside and support one of the many talented and qualified women running. Oh, yeah? Is that right? Oh, I didn't, who knew it was that easy? This is extortion like the mob does. The Me Too movement has become just as extortionist as any mafia family in New York. Say, yeah, you know, that's, uh... That's a really, uh, really nice campaign you got there. She would be, uh, she would be a shame if somebody accused you of being a rapist. Yeah, no, it's a nice, you got a really nice political career there. Well, she would be a shame if you got me too'd. I tell you what, we'll make us a little deal. You drop out of the race. You endorse one of these very well-qualified female candidates over here. And maybe we forget the whole thing happened and you're a wonderful supporter of women's equality. How's that sound, huh? And make a little deal. You scratch my back, well, you better not scratch my back no more. And I'll scratch yours, okay? That's what they're doing. They're talking just like little mobsters. 
And so I'm, I'm totally with Joe in, in dismissing this, this obvious attack. Uh, I'm not the only one, by the way. Whoopi Goldberg agrees with me. We'll get to that in one second. But first, got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. We have so much more coming up. We get a little bit more into Joe. We get a little bit more into Trump and AOC and the Green New Deal. We even get into National Poetry Month. But it's 10 bucks a month, $100 for an annual membership. You get me, you get the Andrew Clavin Show, you get the Ben Shapiro Show, you get to ask questions in the mailbag. You get the Matt Wall Show. Get your mailbag questions in. That is coming up tomorrow, I believe. Is it Wednesday already? Gosh, the time just flies when you're having fun, when you're drinking Kofefe. You will also get the Leftist Tears Tumblr. This is what you need. Oh, the Me Too boomerang swings back and it's knocking down the Democrats' best candidate for the general election. Ha ha ha, ha ha ha, ha ha ha. Get the Tumblr. We'll be right back with a lot more. Politics makes for strange bedfellows, as we speak about modern love, an apt phrase. I'm now defending Joe Biden, and I'm agreeing with Whoopi Goldberg, who is summing up this situation pretty well. Now, Biden responded that in all his years on the campaign trail, he's never believed he's acted inappropriately, so he'll listen respectfully to Flores, but it was never his intention. Now, should she have spoken to him about this before she went on television about it? Or, I mean, is it, you know, listen, in the old days, we would call Joe, some folks of a certain age would say he's a little overly familiar. Yeah. Okay. But most politicians, when they're, you know, doing this with you and, you know, they are. And Joe is, Joe is a hands-on kind of guy. Yeah, he and, is. But no one, I've never heard anyone and she says she felt violated, and I, I have to take her at her word, but it would have been nice if she had turned to him and said, you know what, Jay, I don't really like this. Please don't do this, or not, Mr. Vice President, I'm not really comfortable with that. Something, because he's standing right there. Though it's hard to say to somebody who's sniffing No, it's not. Hair. Somebody touches you well, inappropriately. Exactly right, Whoopi. Whoopi is exactly right. Joy Behar is exactly wrong, because listen to that disagreement there. Whoopi says... You know, if this woman is going to wait however many years and come out and say, when Joe Biden put his hands on my shoulders, it made me uncomfortable. Therefore, he's basically a rapist. It might have been nice to say in the moment, hey, uh, Mr. Vice President, please don't touch me. And then I'm sure he would have said, okay, honey, yeah, I love you. Okay, vote for me. Vote for me. Okay. And it would have been fine. It would have been nice to just say it. You know, you're an adult. You're a person. You're not just a delicate little flower all the time, right? Isn't this such an irony with the feminist movement? We're told women are strong. Women are capable. Women are, are just as rational and direct as men. And then we're told, oh, I could never sell, tell someone my feelings. Oh, I could never. I, no, I could never express my opinion. No, please save me. Save me, Bernie, 10 years later or whatever. She says, just go and just say, hey, man please don't do that. That's how adults deal with things. And what does Joy Behar say? He says, oh, that's so hard to do. That's so hard to say. And Whoopi doesn't let her get away with it. Whoopi says, no, it's not. (laughs) It's not hard to say. Hey, look, I got a mouth. I got vocal cords. I have a brain. I can turn my body to face him and say, hey, please don't do that. It's not hard. It's very easy. The, the professional victim crowd wants to pretend that you, oh, you could never say that. How can you expect a rational human being to talk? How could you, you couldn't expect that. But Whoopi's right. Now there are two more women coming out of the closet. Caitlin Caruso, former college student, 
said that at an event, Mr. Joe Biden put his hand on her thigh. And then she squirmed a little to show her discomfort. But he hugged her just a little too long. This was at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. I have no doubt that Joe Biden put his hand on her thigh or on her leg or on her knee or on her shoulder or wherever. But look, she says, and and I even squirmed a little to show my discomfort. Here's another way you can show your discomfort. Hey, please don't do that. Or move. You can also move. You don't need to. And and I was so clear to him. I did this. It was so clear. How could anyone misinterpret that? That I was calling him a rapist and telling him to get away from me. I practically pulled out the pepper spray. I practically pulled out the bear mace. No, you didn't. You have to articulate what you're thinking. We're not mind readers. You can't read somebody's mind. Women can't read men's minds. Men can't read women's minds. That's why we have language so that we can speak. Or she could have just turned away rather than squirming a little to show her discomfort. She could have said, or she could have even come out and said, I felt totally violated at the time. But she didn't. She waited until it was politically convenient, until the one minute that Joe Biden is about to announce for president. And then all of a sudden, then the attack comes out. Another person, 59-year-old DJ Hill, said that when she and her husband were having her photo taken by Joe Biden, Biden put his hand on her shoulder and then started dropping it down her back, which made her very uncomfortable. Again, that's a you problem, darling. That's not an objective issue. You're take, how do you take photos? I gotta say, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little uh, sensitive to this because I have to take photos all the time. When I go to these college campuses, I take a hundred photos every time. And I actually joke sometimes when we're taking a photo, you know, you put your arms on somebody. If they're very short, then you put their arms on their, on their uh, shoulders. If they're not, you put the arms on the back right behind them. And I joke, I'll say, okay, when we're getting ready for this photo, everybody stand forward. I don't want to accidentally touch somebody somewhere and get me tooed. Ha ha ha. And then it's a joke. And we make this joke because of bogus accusations like this. How do you take a photo with somebody? You put your hand on their back. That's it. That's every photo. Or I guess you could have your hands at your sides and maybe t- like it crossed over your, have them out in the other direction so there's no chance you ever touch them. No, you, when you're taking a photo, first of all, I don't think Joe Biden asked to take a photo with 59-year-old DJ Hill. Something tells me 59-year-old DJ Hill asked to take a photo with the vice president. And so he graciously says, sure, and they're taking what is a familiar photo and he puts his hand on her back, on her back. He's not grabbing her us. He's not reaching over, grabbing her chest. No, he's got his hand on her back. And she's, it made me feel very uncomfortable. Well, that's a you problem. That's not a Joe Biden problem. How about, and how about you say, oh, don't put your hand on my back. I have a very sensitive back or whatever. I don't know. No, you can't. I wonder, I mean, this is such a frivolous attack on Joe Biden. I don't really care because I don't like Joe Biden. So it's fine if it's going to take him out, whatever. I mean, you know. It's your primary, guys. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not voting in it. You can do whatever you want, dummies. But I wonder how much of our sexual culture that we're talking about, modern love, all this weirdo, bizarre relationships between men and women could be explained by Whoopi Goldberg's advice, could be explained by this sort of political attack. When I did my blank book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, that was not the first blank book ever. There have been dozens of blank books throughout history. One of the best-selling blank books, sold a million copies, is called Everything Men Know About Women. <laughs> and it's a, it's a great book. It has a very similar content to my book. 
And I think that book is truer now than ever. I think they should re-release it. It'll sell a zillion more copies. Because this is not a normal way for men and women to interact with each other. Sexual difference is one of the greatest things under the sun. It is one of the reasons to get out of bed in the morning. Coincidentally, it's a reason to get into bed as well. So it really, it really encompasses much of, the, <laughs> much of the experience of the world. But the way that we're talking about it now does not, does not compute, does not make any sense. We're talking about now cycles of egg retrieval and transfer. We're talking about donated eggs. We're talking about all of these clinical things. Surrogacy. We're talking about... That's how we're primarily talking about it in the culture. We're talking about how uncomfortable you feel if a guy that you've asked to take a photo with put his hand on your back. We're talking about how we can't, I mean, now the joke, you see all these comedy sketches of, uh, South Park did this too with PC Principal. Before a man and a woman are going to go, you know, go necking up on Lover's Point, they need to go get a, a contract notarized saying, I give my consent to kiss somebody on the cheek and I give this. How clinical, how inhuman, what an awful way to live. How much of the campus sexual crisis would be explained by this. There was an article that came out about the hookup culture, which is ubiquitous, which it is everywhere, and basically everybody is participating in it. And they say, it's, it is a little weird. We get really, really drunk, and then we go hook up with people that we barely know, and we all willingly do it because we don't know how to socialize. We don't know how to relate to one another. I wonder how much of this is caused by the lies that gender ideology has sold to us, that there's no difference between the sexes. There's no physical difference, there's no spiritual difference, there's no psychological difference. It's all the same. And when we believe that lie for long enough, we're in this bizarre place where Whoopi Goldberg has to be the voice of reason and say, hey guys, if you're having trouble communicating men, how about you just tell them what you're thinking? How about you just tell them what you're feeling? Uh, a bizarre sexual and modern love culture. Do we have, to, we have a little bit of time. We can get to Donald Trump's glorious showing uh, last night. Donald Trump was giving a presser on the uh, Green New Deal, on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and most importantly, he says he's going to postpone the Republican health care plan until 2020. This has created a big uproar because initially he said, we've got the best health care plan. We're going to give you a great health care plan. Then he backed off. He said, we're not going to get it done until 2020. This was a great idea, a very, very good idea to postpone it. If they'd been proposing it, this would become the central issue of the 2020 campaign. And it's an issue that Republicans lose on. And why is healthcare an issue that Republicans lose on? Donald Trump explains it well in this address at the NRCC. It should be easy. It'll be interesting to see. But don't underestimate the power of socialism to get a vote. It's what happens over a 10-year period when the country is destroyed. But they don't care about that. When they say, we're going to give you free education, we're going to give you free health care, we're going to not have you pay your loans for college, we're going to give you free everything. Everything is free. It's very seductive to people. It's not going to be so easy like you think. Now, in 10 years, it's going to be easy when the country goes to hell. Because that's what happens. The country goes to hell. Happened many times. Look at Venezuela. I mean, this was the richest country 
in that whole I mean, outside of us, it was one of the richest countries in the world. And now they have no food, they have no electric, they have nothing. It's sad. Never underestimate the ability of socialism to get a vote. This is a brilliant insight that President Trump is articulating. This is why we can't talk about health care before 2020. Because what we are competing on is they're saying, hey, we're going to give you everything for free. And we're saying, hey, you know, commodities and goods and services cost money. And so there have got to be balances and exchanges. And if you're going to liberalize in this area, and if you're going to make this a little more accessible to bring costs down, that's going to uh, limit care in this area and this and that. And you're going to lose on that because you should never underestimate the ability of socialism to get a vote. Never underestimate. Someone says, hey, everything's going to be free. It's so simple. It's so clear. We lose against socialist policies when the policies are vague. And the socialist healthcare policy from Democrats is vague. They call it Medicare for all. Why do they call it Medicare for all? Because that phrase tests very well. Medicare, oh, that's nice. People get free health care. My grandmother likes it. Okay, Medicare for all. What does Medicare for all really mean? It means fully socialist health care. So when you start to explain to people what Medicare for all means, how much it's going to cost them in taxes, how, how everyone's taxes are going to go up, how it's going to reduce the quality of care, how it's going to reduce medical innovation, how it's going to ration care by the government. When you explain all that to them, the popularity of Medicare for all plummets. But when it's vague, when it's just vague, which is how it's going to be fought in the 2020 campaign, it's very popular. Now, conversely, we win when socialist policies are specific. This is why the Green New Deal is so beneficial to Republicans and conservatives. We love, AOC came out, AOC is running away like the little Roadrunner cartoon from the Green New Deal, which she authored, which she personally released, which she personally pushed, which she personally made her central issue, which she personally got all these Senate Democrats to co-sponsor and endorse. And then when that reality sunk in, now she's running away from it. Everybody's running away from it. Because when socialist policies are specific, we win. President Trump identifies this exactly right. I'm only afraid that we're going to be too hard on the Green New Deal. And they're not going to do it because I want them to do it. We don't want to have them knock it out before we get to run against it. So let's take it easy. I'm, I'm actually saying it's a wonderful thing. The Green New Deal, done by a young bartender, 29 years old. A young bartender, wonderful young woman, the Green New Deal. You know, but it's crazy. You know, the first time I heard it, I said, that's the craziest thing. You have senators that are professionals that you guys know that have been there for a long time, white hair, everything perfect. And they're standing behind her and they're shaking. They're petrified of her. We support the Green New Deal. How about the woman from Hawaii, the senator from Hawaii? Highly nice woman, right? Oh, I'm glad I didn't say it. I'm going to get great points from my wife for not saying that. But she was so angry to men, right? Remember, she was screaming at men. And, and, and then they asked her about the Green New Deal. I love it. They said, yeah, but you don't allow airplanes anymore, so you can't get to Hawaii. Oh, we have to work on something. So somebody jokingly said, we'll build a train to Hawaii. And she actually thought it was a decent idea. 
So now she supports it because she thinks they're going to build a train to Hawaii. But they really believe this stuff. And, you know, it's like, it's the craziest thing. They believe it. This is President Trump at his best. It's him doing a stand-up set, right? This is, this is a guy who has grown up in show business. He has been a king of show business, and he is doing a stand-up set. He might as well get out there smoking a cigarette with the one spotlight on him and a stool. He says, so what's the deal with this Green New Deal, huh? What's that about? How are they going to do it? How, the senator from Hawaii says that uh, she supports the Green New Deal. It's going to outlaw airplanes. What's she going to do? Take a train back to Washington? Yeah, she's going to take a train back to Washington. That's a good idea. That's what they're going to do. Am I right? He's, he's treating it like a stand-up set. And I think this is admirable because he is totally eviscerating the Green New Deal here. I mean, this is, we talked about this with Joe Biden. This is the great fear is to become a punchline. You can be hated. You can be maligned. They can call you Hitler. It, that is better than becoming a punchline. And the Green New Deal is a punchline. AOC is really in trouble right now because she has become a punchline. And she doesn't, see Donald Trump, when they try to turn him into a punchline, he wins. So he comes back and beats them. So he's not a punchline. If he lost in 2016, he'd be a punchline. But he didn't. He won. So then he became Hitler. So then they call him a Nazi. Then they call him a fascist. Then they call him all manner of evil. The Green New Deal's become a punchline because... The point he's making is that socialists never have to answer for their terrible policies because it takes 10 years for socialism to destroy a country, maybe even a little bit longer. This is what happened in Venezuela. Destroyed that country and they never have to answer the people who supported it in the first place. But when it gets really specific, you can drill down and look at that image that he gives you. Donald Trump does this all the time. He creates these great images. Uh, Scott Adams talks about this a lot. That image you have in your mind is Maisie Hirono, the senator from Hawaii, can't fly back to Washington. So she's going to build a train. Now you picture train tracks going across the whole Pacific Ocean from Hawaii to California. Then she's just taken that train. Do, 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 do. Now I support the Green New Deal. What a great image in your mind. Turns it into a total joke, a total stand-up set. And he couldn't do this stand-up act without the material from the Democrats. You can't just do it. You can't just try to be Trump. You can't just out Trump Trump. That isn't going to happen. This, it requires this sort of material. You know, actually Al Sharpton made this point just that he said you can't out Trump Trump and he's exactly right. And you know, I think that one of the important things taking off what Willie said about tough, tough enough to take on Trump, uh, you know, as an old boxing fan, I learned don't fight the other guy's fight. I think it's a big mistake to try to out-Trump Trump. I think what you've got to do is do your own fight plan, mm-hmm. and it will trip Trump up. I think some of the mistakes that was made by the Republican opponents in the Republican primaries is they tried to go tit-for-tat with him rather than raise the level of discussion, deal with the issues and concern of people, talk over Trump, because what he's saying is nonsense. And if you make sense, people will choose something better. Clean glass is always going to be chosen over a dirty glass if you give them the option. So he goes off on his partisan spiel at the end, but he's right in the main point, which is that you can't out-Trump Trump. You can't do somebody better than he does. And I think that's a lot of the appeal of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was, oh, she's kind of like our Trump. She gets a lot of media. She says outrageous things. Yeah, she's going to be our Trump. You can't out-Trump Trump. You can't win it at someone else's game. 
And that's what you see here. I mean, this, this Green New Deal debacle is a truly a catastrophe for her. I think it makes her a punchline. I think it basically ends this as an issue in 2020. They're going to try to revive it, but it really hurts it. And how does she come back? How does she, she's now running away from the policy she wrote. She's blaming it on a staffer. She's telling uh, senators that they shouldn't vote for her policy. Really tough thing. The Green New Deal. And a, a great example of when we get really specific on their policies, we can wreck them because of the reality of it. It's uh, National Poetry Month. And so because we were talking about the Green New Deal here at the end, I just want to read a very simple little poem uh, from a great poet named Joyce Kilmer. He was killed in World War I at the age of 31. So he didn't have the ability to, to mature into a really great poet. But this is a popular little poem. And when, when conservatives talk about the environment, sometimes because we want to show how wrong leftist environmentalism is, we, I think, totally go too far. We say, oh, who cares about the environment? We'll destroy the environment. No, the environment in its natural place, which is for us to enjoy because it is part of God's creation, that's a good place for it. And so this is a poem uh, called Trees. It was made into a song in, I believe, 1948 or something like that. And here's the poem. I think that I shall never see a poem lovely as a tree a tree whose hungry mouth is pressed against the sweet earth's flowing breast, a tree that looks at God all day and lifts her leafy arms to pray, a tree that may in summer wear a nest of robins in her hair, upon whose bosom snow has lain, who intimately lives with rain. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. When we talk about the environment, this is the right idea. We look at it as part of the majesty of creation, as a way to look at that and then look up toward the creator. When we look at modern love, this is an important thing. Poems are made by fools like me, but only God can make a tree. When you look at the natural order in all of its majesty, it is an awesome thing. It fills you with wonder. And when you go in there and you think you can do it better, when you think fools like us can do it all better, tinker all, all of it around, invert it, from what it really is, you get to really bizarre, really morally chaotic uh, outcomes, such as a grandmother giving birth to her granddaughter with the sperm of her gay son's lover and the egg of her daughter. Modern love, do 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 do. All right, that's our show. Tune in tomorrow. Make sure you get your mailbag questions in. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Robert Sterling. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Danny D'Amico. Audio is mixed by Dylan Case. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. Hey everybody, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. The Russian collusion hoax has collapsed, the economy's doing well, but Donald Trump's approval ratings are stuck. Why can't President the Donald get some love? We'll talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show. I'm Andrew Claven.